You're listening to the Derms and Conditions Podcast. So welcome to another exciting episode of Derms and Conditions. And I'm here live in the studio with Dr. Jason Hawks, who's an associate professor of dermatology at University of California, Davis. And he has a very interesting background. He, he spent time at, at Rockefeller University uh, with uh, Jim Kruger and in doing a lot of laboratory work and interesting work in immunology and also working at Mount Sinai with Mark Lubwell and colleagues there. And a, a, a little less than three years ago, has gone out to California. So he's spanned across the country, and now he's uh, practicing dermatology and teaching at UC Davis. So welcome, Jason. It's great to have you here this morning. Oh, thanks for having me, Jim. I'm excited to have this conversation today. Well, you should be excited because uh, we have a lot of exciting things to talk about, I think. So I I think getting to know you, which I've really enjoyed over the last year or so, you have a very interesting background that I thought it would be good to share uh, with other dermatologists at, at some point. And tell me about how you made this transition, because you're, you're young in dermatology, um, and you have interest in academics and in basic science, but you also have strong interest in being a clinician. And so in speaking, especially to younger dermatologists in the earlier parts of their career, that getting out of their residency, they did all this studying, they have all this background, they're deciding whether they should go academic or private as if it's all or none on either side. Can you explain how you've made that transition and combined both? Because I think what you've done is very interesting. Yeah, you know, I think you mentioned it where initially, I think early medicine was that, you know, you you get in school, you know exactly what you're going to do, you're already differentiated, uh, you're going to run a lab and everything's clear and you just follow the path and meet the milestones. And I think what we've learned, you know, uh, I think it's been put on the millennials or, you know, Gen Z, etc. that, you know, uh, that group doesn't really know what they want to do and they bounce around. But I actually think that that fits a lot of, you know, where I was is that I, I didn't there wasn't one thing that just made me so excited that I wanted to do it every single day of my life. And and that was true as I went through through undergrad and medical school. I found interest in a lot of different activities and that included research. It included patient care. I think dermatology for me was a natural fit that way because, you know, we had adult patients, we had pediatrics, we had some procedures, we had pathology. You know, I wouldn't have been a good pathologist every single day because I liked patient interaction, but dermatology brought in multiple aspects. And I think to mirror that interest in dermatology where I had the variety of activities, you know, that's really what I did with the experiences and opportunities I sought after. I spent time at the NIH as a medical student, took a year off in the Howard Hughes program at the NIH and uh, studied microRNAs in non-dermatologic conditions because I didn't have, you know, the the perception I was going to go into dermatology yet. So that was sort of a landmark experience for me showing sort of that translation between the science and human clinical care. You know, I did mouse model research when I was at the University of Utah looking at psoriasiform dermatitis in mice and how that might translate to humans and learning the differences between, you know, models of disease and humans. And that was very interesting. I did clinical trials when I was in University of Utah, but also in New York City at 
at the Rockefeller University and to see how that world worked, interact with industry. So, you know, all of those experiences, you know, might make it look like it's undifferentiated path, but all of those layers have added to my interest and, and all of those have value. And, and so I think it's okay to not have something that's a hundred percent of your time because I, I think overall it's made me a better clinician having had those experiences at the basic science level or the clinical trials level. So, you know, I, I think it's okay to have those broad interests and, and I encourage, you know, young physicians and, and trainees to actually experience those because they, they'll add to future activities. So how how do you come about getting those opportunities, though? I mean, they just don't fall on you. You had to pursue them. And what you just described sounds like half of, of someone's career. How much time was that compressed into? Because you're in Utah, you're in with Kruger, you're, you're, you're at NIH. I mean, that sounds like years and years of career. You know, a lot of them... You're doing two for one, right? So for me in, in medical school, I did take the one year off to do that research fellowship. But for me, I needed to answer an important question, which was that, did I want to run a lab or see patients? Because the system really drives you in one direction. It's very difficult to be a successful NIH physician and not do that 100% of the time because the people you're competing with are doing it 100% of the time. And so while we talk about it being a hybrid, there's really a conflict. So for me, I needed to know early on in my career if I wanted to be in the lab 100% of the time. So that one year off was definitely extra time. But all of the other experiences I really included into my you know training. So during residency, in dermatology, I had rather than doing a traditional three years of training, I did what we call a two plus two program, which is I did two years of traditional clinical training, but my second two years, so again, one extra year, I spent time doing, you know, research, clinical trials, etc. So, you know, two extra years when you get to that point. And, you know, you might say that the three years I spent in New York City in my master's of clinical investigation was extra time, but it was a paid position. You know, I made money. I lived in New York, had a great experience. And so, you know, for me, that was really an advancement of my career because I was seeing patients at Mount Sinai with Mark Lebwall and his group, and I was learning how to practice dermatology. So to be paid and work and learn, it, it didn't feel like extra time because once I was ready to, you know, get into the position I'm in now, I, I had all the tools that I felt like I could manage any patient that walked into the clinic. So to me, it was maybe two years of extra time. There's an opportunity cost there, but I think in the long run, that will be regained. Well, it's time well spent because if you're setting yourself up for a, the the right choice, you know, and that that lasts many years. It's like picking the right partner in life, right? You know, and it, sometimes it takes a little bit longer, but then when it's the right situation, it, it 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 works for years and it gives you a much better life. So so tell me about this position you're in now, because I think your patients that you see are very thankful. I've talked to you about cases which we'll get into, and and your knowledge base and how you manage patients is is so comprehensive. Uh, so you're in a situation now where you have academics and teaching, but you're basically also in private practice. You're out in the trenches treating patients. You know, you're not just in a center that gets a referral and you never see the patient back for six months a year, if ever. So explain how 
colleagues can find that type of situation. Yeah, and I think to also go back and, and incorporate a prior question you asked is how do you find these opportunities? I think you some actually do come to your doorstep. You've got to kind of pay attention. You just have to make the decision to accept it or not accept it. And some of them, I think you have to have the conversation with people and explain your interests, right? You have to start to differentiate yourself and say, this is what makes me tick, this doesn't. And a lot of those conversations led you know, my supervisors, leaders, mentors say, hey, you should really think about X, Y, or Z, right? So I, I really think that's important. And and I think in the answering your second question here, which is what's my position like here at UC Avis and, and it seems to be a hybrid, uh, that was also sort of born out of a conversation about, you know, what I really wanted to do. I, I knew very early on after some of these experiences that I'd had in my training that I didn't want to see patients every single day in a five day a week practice just you know wall to wall with patients because that sort of made it difficult to find time to really think and you know digest the literature and and answer important questions i i enjoyed writing so i needed that time so this was this really kind of came out of that conversation of of having patient care because i think we need to apply the science that we learn but we also need that time to think and digest the literature. So the you know practice model I have here is that I'm affiliated with the University of the Department of Dermatology in Sacramento, but and I'm down there one day uh, where I work with residents and fellows, etc. But those other days I'm at a an outpatient clinic. It's an affiliated clinic with UC Davis, but it's really a multi-specialty clinic where you know there's ENT, there's GI, there's uh, primary care. And I'm the only dermatologist there. So I get uh, those direct referrals, sometimes same day referrals or within a day or two. And that's been really interesting to see that uh, really when you say down in the trenches, sometimes at academic centers, we don't see a lot of the basic early presentations because they take a long time to get to us. But out, out in the community practices, you know, I see these patients that are new diagnoses or just happening the you know new onset etc and that's been really interesting and then I still have a day and a half where I'm not doing any clinical activities that is just academic time so I have at least 30 percent of my time where you know I can um, you know work with industry or you know as a medical uh, board member of the National Psoriasis Foundation we do a lot of uh, work together so those are days where I can sort of work on the other side of of that brain for me that's the creative thinking learning side so for me it really does bring all aspects of what i'd done prior into one position and it's really satisfying to have the variety for me well you're 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 the architect of that to a significant degree just by how it happens because you said something very important earlier. You said that people worked with you and then they started to see this in you and then they start telling you, hey, have you ever thought about this? Or I know somebody, you should give them a call. And and it just builds, but it's you presenting to them your level of interest. Uh, So if you just sit there like a, a 
a bump on a log and you don't express anything to the person you're working with, it's hard to get them motivated about offering some options. So what I'd like to do is ask you about, I I know that you talked to me at one time about a very interesting case of a patient that presented with, uh, they had chronic sinusitis with nasal polyps and they had asthma and they sort of had a complicated situation. They weren't a classic eczematous dermatitis presentation. They were more of a periginous type of presentation. And can you just end today by explaining how you sorted through that case and managed it? Because I thought that was a very interesting case. Yeah, so there's a there's a case we published and uh, it was an older gentleman that had had um, virtually no dermatology history but it had a long history with multiple specialties for multiple allergic related diseases. So he had suffered with very severe asthma, uh, requiring multiple hospitalizations, ER visits. So he was managed by an allergist. He had an ENT that was managing his chronic rhinitis with nasal polyps. He'd had multiple surgeries for the polyps. Uh, he had had a severe uh, aspirin-induced uh, hypersensitivity, uh, also managed with, with allergy, and those three conditions together um, fit with a diagnosis called Samter's triad, uh, which is probably not as common to uh, the dermatology specialty and more ENT uh, and or allergy. So this patient who had had this long allergy history would never interacted with dermatology, was sent to dermatology for these uh, very pyritic um, sort of red to violaceous plaques mostly on the arms and the trunk and they were worried that he'd had some infection he had had a knee surgery that had MRSA uh, complicated by MRSA infection and they were wondering if this could be related and so it was his first time to dermatology when this patient walked in it was clear that what he was dealing with was perigonodularis and so what we really wanted to do is think about how we could manage his condition in a way that might also help some of his other conditions. And, you know, he was really a a magical patient in terms of his treatment response because we were able to get him approved for dupilumab or dupixin uh, given his other allergy conditions. But what was amazing, within about three weeks, he called me and his skin was completely clear. But what was most interesting to me is that about a month later, I got a call from his ENT surgeon saying, whatever you did to this guy, don't stop because all of his polyps are shrinking. He's off his medications. Uh, they, his allergist um, talked about how his asthma is well controlled. They stopped to, you know, all, they stopped all of his oral steroids. And, you know, so what was what interesting about this patient was that even though he had had these separate diseases, it was clear that he had one common pathway that was shared between all these diseases that one drug, one targeted very safe agent was able to get his skin clear, but then have a huge impact in all of these other conditions. So it really kind of gets us back to thinking about how we can interact with these non-dermatology specialties who might see these patients that have these allergic related conditions that one treatment that's targeted can really help multiple areas. So it it really kind of opened me up to these conversations to have with other specialists about uh, with patients we might share that together we can think of, uh, you know, care strategies that'll be better for them overall. 
You know, I find that very rewarding. I have a an allergist immunologist, uh, the guy's a phenomenal physician that we share patients and actually also a rheumatologist when you start getting into psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis and some of these other areas. And I find it very rewarding to share patients with them. So uh, that, that I think that's a great way to end our conversation. Uh, and that that is an, an article that is published that are that uh, people can look up it was in the journal american academy of dermatology uh one of the case reports the jad case report so jason i know you have a busy uh day of patience today uh you're probably not in the lab today or doing your your academic side work so uh, i'll let you go really thanks a lot it was it was great to talk to you and i'm sure i'll see you soon appreciate it thanks jamie it was fun Thank you for listening to this episode of Derms and Conditions. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcasts at fred.health. And most importantly, if you like this episode, subscribe to the Derms and Conditions podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Thanks for joining us.